What's going on, everybody? This is Sean of Raw Select Music. And this is the Super Sonio Show. I'm La Molly. This is Blue and Green Radio. Hello and welcome along to this month's edition of the Music for Modern Living Radio Show, right here on Blue and Green Radio. You're locked in with me, Nigel Gentry. Confessions of a curly mind. Blue and Green Radio. You're listening to Steve Williams at UK5.org. Welcome to the Blue and Green Sessions. Ride the vibe with DJ Ronnie Ron. Twisted Souls. You're listening to the Blue and Green Podcast. And I hope you enjoy what we are going to say. Blueandgreenradio.com Welcome, you're listening to episode 26 of the Blue in Green podcast. Welcome my friends, my name's Imran, uh, I'm your host of these, this podcast series. We have a wonderful show lined up for you today. Before we jump straight into it, a uh, quick uh, mention as always, uh, the Blue in Green podcast runs in conjunction with Blue in Green Radio. You can find both housed at www.blueingreenradio.com. We would love for you to check uh, our, our site out and uh, check out our 24 hours a day seven days a week uh, internet radio stream which presents shows from across the world from Australia to uh, the US to Japan to London and uh, we're just incredibly proud of our uh, of our content of our shows of our music and uh, we think you might enjoy it so we'd love you to check it out uh, as we said these podcasts are they run in conjunction with that so they give me the opportunity to um, talk to our presenters uh, over episodes that air on the first second and third mondays of the month but they also give me the opportunity to talk to incredible artists that are just a thrill to be able to spend time with and um this week's featured guest uh is oh, it's it's with it's a real buzz for us to be able to uh, to, have, to have secure time with this so uh today we're talking to simon allen drummer and uh co-founder of the incredible new master sounds the legendary iconic band who this year are celebrating their 20th year uh, in the music business and uh, in the business of releasing stunning records and uh, this is also going to be uh, the year where they celebrate the release of their 13th studio album which is such an incredible achievement and uh, to sort of be a part of it in the context that we get to talk to Simon and uh, talk about the band, talk about the formation of the band, talk about um, uh, these incredible milestones is is a real it's it's a real win for us. So we're really excited in celebration of of as we said of these amazing milestones. I do want to point out that uh, the new master sounds are they're celebrating it. So uh, so if you are in the in London. Uh, you have uh, the incredible opportunity to see the band perform on Friday the 13th of September at, the, at London's uh, Jazz Cafe and then on Friday the 20th of September they are performing in uh, Leeds at, at the Wardrobe. Um, specific details uh, about those venues we, we do discuss in the show so I, I don't want to reveal anything further uh, at this point but there are some amazing guests lined up for this show, these shows and uh, you just won't want to miss it. Uh, I think that they're, they're, it's two nights that are going to be incredibly special. And uh, you, you, yeah, if you're a fan of the new Master Sounds, um, I think being a part of those nights would really be something special. So I'm desperately trying to be at the Jazz Cafe gig. I think it's going to happen. I think I'm going to be there. So I'm super excited. Um, so uh, before we jump straight in, let's just jump straight into the conversation with Simon. No, before we do, hang on, I'm getting too excited. 
these episodes house house two songs uh, each and every week. Uh, the first uh, is picked by myself, and uh, our guest gets to pick our closing number. So Simon picks a brilliant track uh, for the closing of the show today, but I get the opportunity to pick a song uh, right now. So uh, I'm going to pick a song that's really one of my favourites uh, from the band, uh, and I also want to pick it because it's a song we discuss in the show today which is really cool i was really surprised to hear how the song came together so it's made it all the more special for me to play it now but it's a song called uh, just got a run and it comes from the new master sounds album made for pleasure which again you really should get your hands on we talk about it in the show uh, as well coming up right now so i'm going to play that it's an excellent number really really excellent number and um yeah we're going to jump straight in uh, to conversation with simon quick shout out and thank you as always to our dear friend jade perolini uh, for helping set this up and uh we'll keep you in suspense no more once again you're listening to the blue ink green podcast thanks very much for tuning in and i very much hope that you enjoy the show
I'll use my chin. <laughs> I think the last bit was you. This bit's. <laughs> I've got it. Right, I'm here. Hi, Imran. I'm Simon. Hello. Nice to meet you. This is very, very cool. I really appreciate your time. Oh, well, it's a pleasure, um, I, I think. Um, thanks for taking the interest. <laughs> <laughs> it's the new master sound, sir. It's Simon Allen. I'm always going to have an interest. This is very, very cool. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time. What, what part of the world are you currently in, I should ask? I'm actually at home in Leeds right now. Ah, brilliant. Yeah, so not you, particularly. Are, yeah, so you guys in- are in the States a lot, though, aren't you? Yeah, but most of the time that we're active as a band, we're over there. Um, we we started touring there about 15 years ago, let me think, 2004. Mm-hmm. Is that 15 years? It is, isn't it? It is. It is. Um, uh, and, um, and we found an audience there, and, and, the, and the band kind of uh, moulded into so, sort of what the audience over there wants from a band. Um, and then these days, we, we, we come back to the UK uh probably two two shows a year we do as a kind of special annual treat um and uh, and it's quite nice because people get to sort of see how we've developed over the course of that past year right it's funny because this is stuff that i don't know why i opened with that because i mean i i kind of plan to talk about the us a little bit later but i guess we're here now so let me just quickly ask you my, my question about it because yeah. it's it does it does seem like you guys are more like a us band in as much as um, I think uh, the Made for Therapy album was recorded in New Orleans, wasn't it? And then you have the Nashville sessions. Well, so it does seem like America factors in quite strongly into your music at the moment. Well, these days, um, our guitar player, who's also our, the guy that produces our music, that's Eddie Roberts. Yes, Eddie Roberts. He, yeah. He's lived over in the States now for at least five years. Um, and the last, I don't know, probably the last five albums we've made, we've recorded over there in various places we've, we've recorded in texas in denver in new orleans uh, and san francisco i think off the top of my head um which um which i realize sounds very exotic and uh it, it, does. it would it it sort of sounds exotic to me especially if i imagine myself 10 years ago thinking oh uh, making a record in San Francisco that just seemed impossibly <laughs> glamorous <you know? laughs> um, uh, but uh, we're sort of used to the place now and it is kind of a home from home even though I still live in Leeds um, our, our so our, our keyboard player lives in Buxton in Derbyshire and um, mm. the bass player lives in Menorca in Spain oh wow so we we have been kind of spread around for for ages now and we're used to um, really just meeting up just for touring or recording wow is it is it hard to i mean it's the day job i guess it can't be that hard to sort of coordinate everybody because it's it's what you guys are what drives you isn't it the sort of the music for the new master sounds so it can't be that difficult to sort of get everyone together but it's crazy that you're so spaced out well i'm i i'm i feel really grateful that um after 20 years because this is our this year is our 20th anniversary since of course, in yeah. Um, after all that time, um, all four of us are still somehow able to prioritise the band. When the opportunities come, we're able to take them. And that is kind of how we've managed to stay together um, because it, we, people do have to do various other things to stay afloat. But the the, the new Master Sounds has, has been everybody's premium priority thing for all that time mm. 
Um, and that's probably the key as to why we're still together. But um, yeah, I mean, financially, it's it's well, if you if you if if you speak to any band really, especially any in, sort of independent band, and they're honest with you, they'll tell you it's a real struggle to to, to keep your head above water. Um, um, but yeah. you somehow you find a way, and we and we um, when we get on stage and we start playing, it's it's often that we've had say two months of not playing and not seeing each other and there's always a sense of okay how's it going to go I'm always excited when I've got a show coming up um and that's a part of me thinking will it still work will we still remember how to do it and then we get on stage the first bar strikes up and so and it just feels right immediately and whatever we the, the four of us have been doing separately um during that time we realise that we're sort of back home in the in the comfort zone when we're together, which is great. That is great, and that was actually going to be what my opener was about the the um. Well, I actually didn't know what the opener was going to be because I was going to say, should we congratulate the new Master Sounds on their twentieth year, which is exceptional, or their thirteenth studio album? I mean, these are well. Thank you very much. I mean, twenty sounds more impressive as a number. So let's let's come. <laughs> it's funny. Our conversation seems to be um, like going in reverse, where I'm uh, answering all the questions before you're asking them. <laughs> that might mean that I'm a, I'm a bit of a pushy interviewee, so I'll, I'll just sit, shut up and let you ask me things now. No, no, no. It's it's a pleasure so far. It really is. I'm really enjoying it. So no, please just okay. go anywhere you want to go, of course. But uh, yeah, 20 years. I mean, do you think back? Do you have really clear memories of when you guys started out and what 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 was the intention was it just let's play music and see what happens was it like we're going to be one of the biggest funk and soul bands in the um, world what was the yeah. kind of intention so the, when you got together I do, it, it's all very clear because 20 years doesn't seem like very long time ago i mean it sounds a lot when you say it but um we haven't really accepted that we're now middle-aged men um and uh, so it, it's very clear to me <laughs> 1999 we were in Leeds I'd been working with Eddie Roberts um for a, a couple of years up until then with some other lineups and there was a club night starting uh in uh, in Leeds in a club called the Underground which was underneath the Town and Country Club that that place is now the O2 Academy venue and it's the same building but it's been refurbished and re packaged a few times but the, the 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 club that was in the basement called the underground um that some some dj friends of ours who eddie worked with designing flyers um uh, they were putting a night on that was sort of funk soul jazz and it was called i think well there were two there was one called the yardbird suite and another one called the cooker and the the format was dj's playing to a dance floor, usually playing seven inch vinyl 45s uh, and quite obscure ones too. And this is in the days before the internet was really a thing. So DJs were very much the um, the gatekeepers and the custodians of these tunes. You, you couldn't, could just search for them. They, they devoted their lives so far to kind of hunting them down, crate digging, that kind of thing. Um, and they wanted a live band uh, to be part of the format of their weekly club night. Uh, may maybe they couldn't afford to have a band every week, but there was a sense that live music was going to be a part of it, but it was only just like a, a, an interlude, really, in interrupting the DJ sets. So um, knowing that this was about to 
launch, um, we sort of had that as a goal. Let's let's put a band together so that we can play maybe the opening night of that. Um, and, and that's what we did. And I, I seem to remember, the problem is I've told this story so many times and you know how like truth becomes <laughs> sort of slightly subjective and murky. But yeah, some of these facts right. may turn out to be untrue, <laughs> but the general shape of the story is true. Um, but in my in my in my story that I have in my head, I think we had the Haggis Horns, um, Malcolm, Jason, and Athol um, wow. playing with us that night, and we maybe had a percussionist, and we were playing uh, a mixture of tunes by the Meters and Jimmy McGriff, who's a uh, Hammond organ star from the sort of sixties. Uh, late 60s early 70s period as far as we're concerned um and then a few original tunes that eddie had written and uh we rehearsed it in my basement uh around the corner and then we did that show and and i've heard a recording of it i think i either have it on cassette or mini disc or some other outdated format and it was all right it's quite promising you know the grooves didn't sound particularly grown up or mature and they weren't i guess because we were sort of new, you know. Um, but yeah, the the the, the promise mm. made made us stick with it, and um, and we recorded a, 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 a I think it was a sort of demo um, in someone's basement, and the main purpose of it was just so that we could have a record of the tunes that that we were writing, um, so that we could learn them properly. But the the sound of it was really nice. It was on an eight track reel to reel tape machine, and we played it to one of our DJ friends from the club and they passed it on to someone in London. And then before we knew it, that guy had uh, asked if he could press it on a seven inch single, two of the tracks. So this is 99, maybe 2000. Mm -hmm. And so for the first time we had a record and then, um, then we got invited to play in London. So initially the ambitions of the band were to get a regular gig in Leeds where we all lived. And um, occasionally we'd go as far as Manchester, which is forty miles to the to the uh, to the west, um, but never outside of that. And uh, and it was once the record had come out, then we some DJs and promoters thought, oh, we should get these guys to come to our club. So I think we went to the Jazz Cafe, um, and uh, were yeah quite excited about it and amazed and and um and then thereafter it went as far as belgium i think <laughs> this is in the very early stage um, but i do, I do wow. remember be, uh, <laughs> being really excited the first time we flew anywhere that i just thought i'm on a plane and somebody else is paying this is this i've i've made it you know like this is this is it oh my God. but um now the yeah. the jazz cafe thing so we Ages ago, that was sort of our first exposure to London. And um, we're going to be back there in less than two weeks um, for for the album launch. Um, yes, that's right. Yeah, that, uh, And, and that's a re- that, that feels really nice. We went back last year for the first time in a while. And I didn't know if the venue would still have the vibe. Uh, and, they, and, it, and it was great. It was even better than I remember it being. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that show. You mentioned outdated formats. I mean, that's that's a great point. Like over the course of twenty years, you've you must have seen so many changes in the music industry. How I mean, it's kind of it's it's difficult, I guess, because you're you're someone that's. I think New Masters sounds have had a loyal fan base for a really long time, 
you're talking about also fans of of the vinyl format as well but have you sort of has it been difficult to have you had to try and adapt to sort of contemporary changes in the music industry and the rise of the mp3 and uh, the downloading and streaming errors has that kind of impacted how well, you yeah. had to sort of handle business um, so in any context I, I started a, a record label in 2003 uh, to, to to make our second album which is called be yourself um, and at that point we didn't have enough money to press vinyl and there wasn't really anyone saying it's okay we'll we'll finance it at that point I think we we, we were sort of trying to um, take control after the, the, we did the first record on a label called barely breaking even. And there were lots of people involved and mm. the, it was a bit murky and nobody really saw any money from it. And everyone was a bit suspicious. And then, and, and we thought, okay, well let's just see what there is and try and do it ourselves. But the, the only record that we've never done on vinyl is the first one that we, that we did on my label, which is be yourself. Um, since that point, um, we've done CD and LP and then around about 2005 the distributor started talking about talking about the new digital paradigm and I remember having to learn a whole load of new things to make that work and um, and then for as far as we were concerned it was just a, a sort of free way of selling music because there were no overheads and it, it's it put our music into the paths of right. people who might not have otherwise heard about it because of algorithms. And um, while the rest of the music industry, the, the, basically the people who were already successful and had loads of money and power were going around screaming in a panic that their business model was being ripped apart. We were just finding that it was a real help to us um, because we didn't have the the, the financial means or the fame to reach people and the, the digital system was doing that for us. And we, and so I have nothing but good things to say about it. And then just as I'd got used to the whole idea of selling downloads as being a business model, um, the, it's, it, it started to gradually shift towards streaming. And, and again, there were lots of people saying, Spotify, it's terrible. You, you, you get 0.0000017 P per play. Um, Compared to, you know, you've got a tangible amount per download. <laughs> um, and everybody seemed to think it was bad. But our distributor just showed me some figures once and just said, look, it's not about how much it is per stream. People will be listening over and over again. So every time they listen, you get paid. And, and ultimately, it's going to be better than downloads. And he was completely right. And, and the, the income started to shift from download heavy to streaming and now it's I, I mean I don't know do you buy music as a download because I don't I I as far as downloads I'll buy occasional singles uh like if there's a remix that's only available as a digital copy but otherwise I'm a tangible guy I'll always buy uh, a hard copy yeah well so now we uh, like every album apart from one is has been available on vinyls and we We've always believed in that as a format and mm. we never really gave it up, but we saw vinyl almost disappear and then come back into style. And the, the inconvenient part of it coming back into, into fashion, maybe in the last five years or so was that suddenly pressing plants were not interested in um, 
honouring our deadlines because we're only pressing a, a thousand copies and suddenly Christina Aguilera is, is pressing vinyl. <laughs> and, and so all of a sudden, all the pressing plants in the world suddenly were completely swamped by demand. Oh, wow. Um, and you just could, you, you had to get your thing in so much far in advance of the release because you're at the back of the queue um, because all these mainstream artists are now pressing vinyl because it's trendy. But I'm sure that, that I'm sure it'll pass and they'll stop doing that and then we can just carry on <laughs> doing a, a thousand <laughs> copies at a time type questions. Oh, what a fascinating perspective. Uh, so the I guess the the new album, of course, will certainly be made available on vinyl. The new album, Shake It, of course, will certainly be made available on vinyl, I imagine. Yeah, um, well, it, it's being made available in two different uh, formats because um, we've pressed it over here in the UK for the UK and European market. And also, Eddie started a label last year called Colour Red, and that's that's the mm-hmm. that's the parent label for this release. And they've done their own pressing in the states, and they they've they've decided to go for orange vinyl. Um, and mm-hmm. I over here went for uh, the 180 gram black vinyl pressing. So so mine's a bit more for audiophiles, and Eddie's pressing is a bit more for the kids who like the gimmicky coloured vinyl. You know. Um, so this, yes. I guess if, if there'd be one or two people who want both, and they're going to have to like import it from somewhere, you know, if they're depending where they are. But yeah, so right. um, the, the 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 record is it's a um, it's a kind of I mean I was when I was setting up the release, I have to choose a genre for it, and usually I put like soul jazz or funk if funk is an option funk isn't often an option to be honest which always used to annoy me oh, right. like sometimes I have kind of <laughs> r&b and i'm thinking well it is r&b but only in the original rhythm and blues sense not in yes. the beyond yeah. sense um so some of our releases will be like miscategorized and people will be just baffled as to why they're in the r&b section um but then they'll find songs like Fancy and Treasure and it will slot right in. I hope in. so, yeah. Um, um, <laughs> but the, um, this, this particular record, I managed to find a, a genre on, in the drop-down list of retro soul. And I thought, yeah, that's what this is, really. I mean, I, if I had to be more specific, I'd say it's a retro soul funk album. The pro- production is um, it's vintage. It's, it was recorded onto tape. Uh, we were all in the same room at the same time, and the the writing and the general sensibility is really informed by those old soul records that that all of us liked. Um, so wait, I'm not going to pretend that this is a contemporary uh, sounding piece of music. It really isn't, but it's it's just the sounds that we like from music. So. Why shouldn't we be able to continue that tradition is the, is the idea. Absolutely. So it's, as I said, it's the 13th studio album available on the 13th of September. Nice touch. Oh, nice. Uh, the single is thus far. I, been... I hadn't started that. that. That's really good. Um, <laughs> so the singles thus far have been Let's Go Back, Kings and Queens and Taking Me Down, which have been just luxurious. They're beautiful. Uh, I have heard a song, I think it was on the Color Red soundcloud page called trouble which i don't believe was as, as it had well i don't think has been a single but i'm very much hoping is going to make yeah, it into well album. i'm afraid you'll dis- be disappointed that um is not on the album because oh, it's really? a bit too different in style it, that was recorded um oh, that was really? recorded separately probably uh 
I don't know, six months before the album. And also, I'm not playing on it. Um, but that isn't the reason. Why. Oh, I and hate that, that song. <laughs> it's great. No, but we do perform it now in the live set. It's just that the um, when it that was lovely, recorded, yeah. the rest of the band were over in Colorado and I was at home in Leeds and they um, they used uh, a guy called Jeff Franker, who is the drummer from Thievery Corporation. He's a friend oh, of wow. ours. And um, so he he played on that and they decided to do it as a Master Sounds release um, because it's it was everybody except me. And then they played it to me. I said, this mm. is really good. I like this. And then Eddie said, well, he's not doing anything that you wouldn't have done. <laughs> I said, fair enough. <laughs> and it's completely right. And uh, I've really enjoyed playing it in the live set. So, um, yeah, if you see us live, we, you might hear us play that. But um, it's not going to be on the record because it's just the, the, the production sound is a bit, a bit more polished, I would say, a bit smoother. Right. But I'm going to be it. On vocals, on, on all of the songs, have been this, um, God, this incredible voice of Lamar Williams Jr., who who sounds just awesome. How did you guys meet to sort of collaborate on the, the whole album? We're still very excited about um, working with him. Uh, we, Eddie um, was doing some kind of benefit show in the States, and a, 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 a mutual friend introduced L- Lamar to Eddie, and I think they were on stage at the, together at some point in some kind of jam session situation. And Eddie really liked the sound of Lamar's voice and got chatting, found out he lived in Atlanta. And we had a tour coming up that was going to include a date in Atlanta. So Eddie just suggested, why don't you come down and, and sit in on a couple of tracks with us for our show? Because this kind of thing happens a lot over there. Um, there's people will come to the gig and they'll bring their instrument, especially if they're like, if it's vocals or horns, it's very easy to slot that on top of what we already do. And, Mm. um, and also it happens a lot at American festivals where there will be reasonably spontaneous collaborations with people sitting in, um, including in uh, over the years, members of the meters, like people like George Porter Jr., the bass player or, or Ziggy, their drummer, Art yeah. Neville. We've had all sorts of stuff where just one of us will sit out and somebody else will replace them, and the audience loves to watch it all just getting mixed up like that. But in this situation, it it was really, I think, a, a sense of trying each other out. Eddie really liked his voice. Was thinking, I wonder if that would work for for new master sounds. And Lamar, although we didn't know it, was. At the time, he was looking for a band. He hadn't quite found a home. Um, he, he worked with various people, but he was kind of looking for something that turned out to be, it was exactly what we were doing, and that was what he was looking for. Um, and we sent him some tunes to learn. We sent him a Billy Preston tune um, and a Lee Dorsey tune and another obscure New Orleans song by Willie West called Fairchild. And uh, he said, yeah, I'll learn these. And... I met him for the first time at the sound check and we'd been, uh, we'd been in on driving. I think we were on a sort of five hour car ride from the previous gig. And we were listening to these tunes in the, in the, in the van, um, trying to learn them before we got to the sound check. And we got there and just as soon as we started, it, he started singing and we started playing and it was just right. It was perfect. And then on the gig itself, the audience loved it. It was even better. 
And when we came off stage, we just said, we should make a record, right? And he said, definitely. And that was in, <laughs> that was in June. And in December, right. we met up um, in Denver and we, we made the record. And that's, well, that's the one that's coming out on the 13th of September. That's amazing. Yeah, and, and, it, and it, was, it was a really fun process. Um, so we hadn't really done any, apart from that one gig where he sung three covers with us. Oh, and at the end of the gig, he, he revealed that he had no idea about any of that music. So this was a, we- a weird thing. So this is a black guy from Atlanta um, who was learning about like black soul music from some white people from England. It's <laughs> <Kind of> like, <laughs> what? Yeah. Um, but uh, he, he's from this other tradition, which is the Allman Brothers. So that the Allman Brothers are Southern rock band. Um, they did the theme from Top Gear. If you don't know if you, that, that's the. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. With two guitars. Um, but they were a huge band in the, in the seventies in, in the States. And, um, his father was the bass player of the Allman Brothers for a while. Wow. Um, and his, his dad died young, but Lamar has sort of grown up within the Allman Brothers extended family kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, well, he told us that the, the, the tunes that we'd got him to learn were completely new to him. Like he hadn't heard of them. He hadn't really heard of Billy Preston or Lee Dorsey or anything. And we were amazed by this and because he sang them so well instinctively. Um, and then when we went into the studio, uh, we had a, this fun process where we were all, it was collaborative and um, our keyboard player wrote a lot of the lyrics and then Lamar would look at the lyrics and then try and find the way to sing them that was natural to him. And then we would kind of tweak them, but this was all at the microphone. So it, it wasn't that we had the songs finished and polished before we went into the studio, they were very much being crafted on the fly. And some of them, he was writing them or singing them line by line um, as we were writing them. And it was just going down. And it's like, right, that verse is finished. Let's try the bridge. How are we going to do that? And then at the end of it, uh, the at the end of that process, he then had to go away and learn his own songs that he'd been part of. But we've been now playing them live wow. for um, the best part of this year. And so they're all now really uh, familiar to us as tunes to perform. But it, 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 it took a little while to relearn them because the, the, the studio process is so intense. We tend to work on a tune, kind of finesse it to the point where we can do a take, where we can get from the start to the finish without anyone making too many uh, sort of significant errors. And then it, if the vibe is right, we move on maybe after one or two takes and then we might not hear that until I don't know six months later when Eddie has mixed it and at that point I mean you you forget about the tune that you've done in the morning when you're working on the next one in the afternoon because because it doesn't have time to sink in and so the the a familiar experience to us is learning a load of new songs that are our own songs in order to play them live and it almost feels like you're learning somebody else's music initially. I, I'm listening to my drum parts and thinking, well, how, how, did, how did he play that? Uh, and I have to sort of sit down and figure it out. <laughs> and then 
eventually I figure out what I did and then I learn how to do it and we do it live. I'm really pleased that, so the album launch uh, that we've got coming up at the Jazz Cafe on the on the 13th of September, um, we're going to be playing the album, but we already know exactly how to play it. Like we've been doing it for the last six months. Um, and so it's going to be a really confident performance rather than, us just learning it now and hoping that it works on the day because we don't get rehearsal time. That's the that's the downside of living in uh, four, three different countries, is that you just rely on the, the sound check to just refresh things, and then hope it goes well, which it always does. Oh, geez, amazing! I mean, you mentioned the uh, sort of that process of when you were writing with Lamar and he was singing it sort of line by line. Is that does that tend to be the process when you guys meet together? get together in the studio for an album do you tend to turn up and say right it's a blank piece of paper what we're going to do or are you workshopping ideas and messaging things over to each other in the build-up to that well, studio time for this album we were workshopping things and messaging them to each other um a few months before but for previous records um we have just like made for pleasure which we did in new orleans in 2015 i think um we just booked the studio because we knew we were going to be in that city already and it was like okay well that's the cheapest way to record the album is to do it in a place that we're already at so we don't have to fly anyone anywhere and um we booked the studio and everybody knew that we were going to be there and i was kind of hoping that people would have tunes in development and bring them to the table we got there it was the fastest ever setup of any studio recording like within two hours we had the drum sound, which is usually the hardest thing to get. And the guy in the engineer just said, right, ready, ready to go when you are. And we looked at each other and said, has anyone got any tune? And everyone just looked at the floor <laughs> and I was there thinking, Oh no, cause I, I, cause, cause it was my label at the time. I'm paying for the studio I'm thinking, Oh, Oh dear. This, this could, well, you know, we really need to pull our fingers out. And the first day was kind of wasted. Um, we tried half-heartedly jamming a few things, but inspiration did not come. But by the end of the six days, we had this really great album. Um, and it it just was born from necessity. Like, I think when we went home at the end of the first day, I started writing some a few things. Um, Joe started working on things. And... and uh, and and then Eddie came back in and he had some inspiration actually while we were there. Um, and yeah, the end of it, we had the record and I just thought, okay, well, I now know that it's possible whichever way we approach it, you know, like just don't panic. It'll be fine. Is the, is the mantra. Um, but the, the, the new album, Shake It featuring Lamar, I think we, we knew that we wanted songs because we had a singer, usually it's just an instrumental thing and maybe we have a guest vocalist or for one or two tracks. But we were very much going in to make an album of songs and we realised that it maybe wasn't going to be enough to just rely on being able to jam an entire album's worth of actual songs. So we put a bit of um, pre-production, pre-writing time in. And um, in fact, it was on one of those sessions that the other guys recorded the trouble single while I was, I, I had to, I was at home cause I had some family stuff I needed to be here for. Um, and I was initially thinking, Oh no, I don't want to feel left out of the creation of this album. Cause I was really excited about working with Lamar, 
Um, and I, uh, so what I did is I went to my drum room in the house and I recorded some grooves on my iPhone and I sent them to Pete, who was back in Menorca at that point, just by via WhatsApp, you know, a, um, a, an MP3 from my phone. And I said, I've just, I've just come up with this groove just uh, in case you want to try and write something on top of it. And two of the songs that ended up on the album uh, started out like that. So I, I do feel like I was involved now. It was, it was nice because Pete encouraged me and, uh, and he did some great stuff on top of it. And then we took the little demo that was my drums and Pete's bass. We took that into the studio when we were all together in December and said, here's the basic idea. Um, what do we think? And then it was expanded on by Joe and Eddie. And, and so that became Kings and Queens was one of them that started like that. And then the, there's a, there's a oh, scar okay. tune uh, called on the up, which uh, is on the, it's an instrumental track on the album. And that was another one. So yeah, I got, I managed to put my mark on it. <laughs> Going back to uh, just a made for pleasure, just for a moment, you, when you talked about all getting together and not having anything, uh, prepared. I, I'm blown away because that album has two of my favorite new master sound tracks, which are just got a run and Tranquilo, which I just adore. I could Tranquilo's it's like seven minutes as is, but I mean, it could be 27 minutes. It's, it's six minutes. Sorry. And that's gorgeous song. And I can't believe you just came up with that almost. Well, that was, so, uh, that's the Spanish word Tranquilo, meaning, you know, quiet, peaceful, that kind of thing. Or, mm, or I right. think if you, if a child's maybe being noisy you can say hey tranquilo like you can sort of say it as a way of telling them to be quiet um right um but that's a real laid-back ambient track isn't it um yeah and we've never Quite played a different that. song it's beautiful we've never played it live uh oh, right. because it just doesn't have the right energy for our live set yes our, our the live set is really a dance floor thing and if there's any downtime at all it's just a brief respite generally and we like we, we mix up mm. grooves and stuff but we do have these these tracks like tranquilo and there's a few others on various other records which are very much album tracks which sound great um but we always forget about them because we don't usually listen to our own music and um sometimes i'll hear tracks like that and i think oh that's nice and then i realize it's a new master sounds and it's like oh my God. <laughs> um just got to run. I'm glad you said that you thought that was one of your faves because um, yeah, that's, I love that song. That's one that I went went after the first day of panic. Went back to Eddie's apartment where we were all crashing, and I woke up in a panic at six a.m. The, the day of day two of the recording, and I'd started frantically writing lyrics. And then I went and woke Joe up, and I said, "Here's an idea of a melody. Just." find the chords that go behind this and he had a keyboard in his room and so that that's where that came from on that day that oh that's cool panicking day too uh, <laughs> and then we took it we, we took it to charlie uh lowry who's this girl that sang it yeah um, amazing for vocalist she's great and um and, and yeah so she, and and that, but, but what i didn't know at the time was what the groove was of that and it was eddie that said this is a northern soul vibe and suddenly it all made sense. We we were we trying various different ways of doing it, and then Eddie just said Northern Soul, and that's what um, that's what brought that song together. Oh, that's really cool to hear that. 
do you kind of going back to shake it or well, any of those albums do you still get nervous at new releases or are you just excited to sort of be like back on the road touring them and for people to kind of hear new music or are you kind of like people know what to expect from a new master sounds record and you know what's good now um generally speaking i'm never nervous about a release um other than from a logistical point of view like will the vinyl be ready on time for the release date that we've chosen um which in this case it definitely is um uh, but uh in terms of how well will this go down Usually what's happened is we've made the record. So, you know, we, we wrote and recorded these songs in December. Um, we've been performing them to audiences all around the States for the past six months. So we know that, that they work and they go down well. Um, so in a way, I'm sort of impatient for the album to come out so that people can start listening to it in their cars. Um, but there isn't any sense of trepidation. Uh, how will this be received? I'm, I'm pretty sure that anyone who likes us is going to like the album. So, I mean, it might sound a bit cocky. I guess there'll be no. You've yeah. earned the right to be, haven't you? There'll be there'll be one or two people who really like the fact that we're an instrumental band who are thinking, yeah, not really sure you need the vocals. But there's there's so few of them um, that mm. we, we're not going to alienate. You know, they might not particularly like this record because eight of the eleven tracks have got our vocal tunes but it's not going to stop them coming to see us live because our live show even though we have Lamar with us is very much a mix of everything that we've done over the past 20 years and that a lot of that is instrumental so we do all all the songs that we can do with Lamar and then we play our stuff and Lamar is on stage uh, going crazy with the tambourine behind me um, and just being a part of it and it and it, and it's great so People who like what we do don't have to worry that we've somehow changed direction and that, and that the gig is going to be markedly different. But we've, for us, to keep it interesting for us, we've now got this extra layer that, uh, that Lamar brings to the top of it, which is um, keeping us interested. Because um, the, mainly the, our job is to stop ourselves from getting bored <laughs> after that amount of time doing it. You know, Because I think this time we just said we can't make another instrumental album because surely we've just come at this from every possible angle. Um, and that's how we felt. And that's why it was such a, a blessing that we ran into Lamar when we did. And um, it's, it's turned out really well. Yeah. I guess Nashville sessions two came out at like less than a year ago now. Yeah. Well, that's, that was an easy record Which was to make record. because it wasn't new tunes. So the, the, the both Nashville session albums were just us playing what we do in our live sets uh, in the way that we play them live, but but what we wanted to capture them on tape in a studio, so we get that the sound that we like from them, and we had a, we had an audience right. in there with us, giving us something to feed on, so yeah. that the energy is there. But the tunes are all tunes generally that have been recorded and released uh, in the past on previous Master Sounds records, um, but mm. the way we play them live evolves so much over the course of ten, fifteen, twenty years that the the arrangements can end up being quite different. And that's why we thought it was worth capturing the the way we play them now using the vintage studio sound. So, um, but, the, but there was no pressure really because all we had to do with air was do what we do every night in a studio. Whereas when we're making a new studio album of new material, 
we're sometimes in that position as we were with Made for Pleasure, where we're scratching our heads, feeling the pressure. Um, and uh, that, yeah, there's a lot more at stake in that situation. Uh, you obviously from the instrumental point of view that was uh, I sort of mentioned that in terms of like you said we can't do another instrumental record and the last one came out so soon right so um, I guess it was a kind of accident that that, yeah uh, because Renewable Energy uh, came out in in maybe April of of that year and then National 2 came out later and it was just really a question of well we know people will like Nashville 2 and they'll want to buy it on vinyl so let's just do it. We were in Nashville um, in, I think it was in June of that year. And it was just a case of let's take the opportunity to do a follow-up while we're here and just get it out on vinyl. And that's easy and everyone's happy. So, and it's not like there's some overarching marketing plan with anything that we've ever done up until now, um, because it's, it's not that big a concern. You know, the, it's, it, 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 we're sort of outside of the music industry to an extent. And um, it's really just okay. There are there's some people in the world who like what we do. How 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 hard is it just to make the music and then make it available to them? And I guess you know that's how it's always worked without too much of a uh, of a song and dance. Mm-hmm. But I, this this album we we have stepped it up a little bit because. Um, it's the 20th anniversary year. We've got Lamar. That's a new thing. And, and it's, and it's on Eddie's label color red and they have been uh, really going for it in terms of their marketing presence and their strategies for promotion and everything. And they've been releasing one, a new tune every week since they set up the label just over a year ago. Um, And that's been their kind of manifesto. So it's been interesting. This, this this album will be their most prominent release because um, a lot of the mm-hmm. other artists on there are kind of artists who've come together to make a record in, in the Colour Red studio. Um, so, so it's a collaboration, whereas we're more of an established band with an audience. So mm. um, it's kind of exciting for, for that label and it's exciting for us as well to have their team behind it. Um, and it's probably more interesting to talk about the music itself rather than the the infrastructure. No, no. Well, well actually, I was going to ask about Color Red because, I, like you said, they've been releasing stuff every week, and I actually thought they were a lot older due to the amount of music that they actually have out. So I'm, I'm I was quite surprised when you said that they're not even two years old. I actually thought that they had been around for quite uh, a lot longer. I have a few uh, Color Red uh, releases, so uh, I'm. Yeah, no, I'm quite a fan of the label as well. So, yeah. Good. Eddie will be pleased to hear that. I should pass that on. Very, very cool. Yeah, I did know it was an Eddie Roberts uh, 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 label. So I was sick excited when I saw New Master Sounds were going to be a part of it. As, as Is One Note Records not something you're pursuing anymore? Um, One Note Records is the – so that's the label that I set up in 2003 yeah. to do Be Yourself. And it still exists as an entity. And and uh, it it is sort of – um, involved in this release too. Um, it's just that it, it doesn't have any profile as a label. I've never pursued it as a as a thing like you know True Thoughts or Jalapeno Records. Mm. It's all it's ever been has been a vehicle for New Master Sounds really to release our stuff and for me to administer that and make sure that we can earn some money out of it. Um, so I've never had any greater ambition for it to be 
a, a thing that people should care about or even notice. Um, so when Eddie came to me when it was time to make this record, he said, you know, we need, we should really do this on Colour Red. And once we'd figured out the details of how that was going to work, I, I was very pleased for that to happen. Um, because, mm. yeah, I'd, I I don't particularly enjoy admin work, which is what a label is. Right. Um, I, I kind of, <laughs> I sort of, I'm quite good at it compared to the rest of the members of the band, which is probably why I'm the one that set the label up. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm happier on stage playing drums. So um, this works well. <laughs> Do you do you sort of foresee yourself in time to come, like I don't know, stumbling on stumbling upon someone live and thinking, "Hey, they're they're amazing," and then maybe having a discussion with them about putting music out under one note and being their kind of producer or you know contributor to their music? I Does did, that appeal in any sense? I did used to think that. So when I first started the label, that was in my head as a as a potential outcome, um, but. I kind of I did a couple of things like spin-offs, like Master Sound spin-offs. Like Eddie had a a project called Roughneck. We released his record, and our percussionist had a yeah. had a thing that was sort of neo Latin pop music called Orgatronics. This was in two thousand and five, and I released both of those things, um, but they just didn't do anything. And I, and it was in the days before digital social media existed. And it, very much the old model of how labels work existed then. And I just didn't have access to it because really you need money to sell things. And the one thing I didn't have was any spare cash. It was just, we would make a record. Uh, we would make a little bit of money from it, but I would squirrel away just enough so we could make the next record. And that was the business model. <laughs> um, and when it came right. to doing other people's music, Initially, I, I was maybe a bit naive and I would press CDs or even vinyl and then just hope that good people would find the good music. And that just didn't happen because there was no route to putting the music in front of people. Um, whereas now it, you put something on Spotify and gradually the algorithm will stick that under people's noses if the music's good enough. And and then it, right. it's self-reinforcing. But back then, digital was in its complete infancy and I had no promotional um, kind of traction anywhere and no spare marketing cash. So so it just kind of didn't work and I became a bit disillusioned with it. And then I just thought, actually, I think I just should stick to doing Master Sound stuff. So so I gave up on that idea. Um, and, and I don't mind really. I, I'm because I've always done other things as well. I'm, I've done photography as a sideline. Um, oh, cool. And the latest thing that I'm planning to do with my spare time when I'm not touring, um, I've just set up a, uh, a recording system in my music room upstairs in the house where I can do hopefully remote drum sessions for people. Got a really nice ribbon mic. Um, and in fact, what I did was I, re I re recreated the setup that they have at Color Red um, to record drums. And so I'm going to be doing that. Um, and hopefully that, that'll give me a bit of a side thing so that I can put the word out and say, if you want funky, soulful drums, you can come to me, send me the track. I'll send you back the track with drums on it. It's the, the general oh, idea. That's brilliant. I, I've still got to figure out how to get fluent in uh, 
Logic, which is the the software I'm using. Um, right. But I've got lots of friends. But that's, a, that's an excellent yeah. idea. The sound is, I mean, it's amazing just how great the initial sound is anyway, just with the right microphones. Um, there's a lot of stuff that gets talked about the science of recording drums and the sound and everything. And over the years, we've had some right faffing going on at, at, at the beginning of, of uh, studio sessions where it just seems to have taken absolutely ages. And Eddie, to his credit, and the people he's been working with in, in the US have just found this system which involves three microphones, sometimes just two, but but three maximum. And... Um, just going through a tape machine and and you just get that instant warm vintage slightly naturally compressed sound that you know from all the records you love that's very very yeah that's really exciting uh, going back to your uh, offshoot kind of uh, uh projects that people had do you, and sort of maybe through one note records in time do you reckon you'll bring to life the t narne project that you and pete shand and um oh, uh, dan goldman had I can't believe you know about that. That's amazing. How, how, did that come from? Where did you find that on SoundCloud? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. It's it's available on SoundCloud, isn't it? Yeah. Um, on the so one note records. That, I was really excited about it. Um, the guy that uh, the guy that was the fourth member of that collaboration is a guy called Brian Jay, who's from yeah. Brooklyn, and he's a singer and producer and multi instrumentalist, and he produced that stuff. But he came over, stayed with me in Leeds, and the four of us went to a studio in Bradford, and we jammed for two days. And he took the jam sessions away and created those tracks out of the jam sessions. Right. Um, and he subsequently went on to make an album with Pete for Bernard Purdy, the drummer, mm. which was released sometime last year. Uh, and Brian is is just really impressive. And he he's actually just done a remix of one of the tracks from our album, Shake It, the title track. Brilliant. Another little thing that's in the pipeline is a a remix album of the new album that Eddie's doing on Colour Red with various different producers. So so Tina Arnay, another kind of example of, I invested a little bit of money in that and we put some time in and we ended up with these great tracks, but it came to the idea of releasing it and... There was no live band to promote it. It right. was just it was just some music by some people that not many people have heard of. <laughs> and so I didn't I didn't end up doing a commercial release because my experiences of doing that with other things that didn't have a, an active live band promoting them were that they just sunk without a trace. Um which is kind of sad. Um because it would have been nice I guess just to put them onto into the system and have them available on Spotify and see if they kind of, you know, find an audience. But there's a lot of issues with it, which is that there's lots of people's rights that you're having to then um, be the custodian of. And there were some people who were vocalists on it and I couldn't get into communication with them. You know, I needed them to sign. So it became a bit, a little bit depressing because it's, I really like the tunes, but that's why I put them up on SoundCloud, I think. I just thought, well, hopefully someone will hear them, you know. And yeah. I mean, I'm glad you did. <laughs> I did, and I love them, yeah. It's excellent. I've got Cali Girl on. I was listening to quite a lot yesterday. So, yeah. 
That's great. Well, you've yeah, I I, yeah. I I wasn't sure how much of our stuff you would know, but you, I think like you probably know more than I do now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I'm fairly well informed. I have been a fan for a while, for quite a while now. So yeah, I, this is quite a buzz for me to be talking to you right now. So oh, right, so, yeah, I'm, I'm quite a fan. Are you going to be able to make it to the Jazz Cafe show? I'm desperately trying. I'm one of those annoying people. There's two kids and a, a schedule that's on on my kitchen wall. <laughs> oh, you, where you, I need yeah, to you, be on certain days. You've got young kids, haven't you? Because I was listening to a podcast you did with Flevins. Oh wow! Um, uh, oh great! Thank you very much. Yeah, and he, uh, yeah, you said you, uh, yours like four and seven or, or younger. Uh, 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 eight and three. Oh, okay. So I was close. Wasn't eight it? And three. <laughs> yeah, I think I think those those uh, his his children's ages, if I remember correctly, they're they're fairly close by. Um, oh, so you uh, could have a play date of, with them. We we could have a play date. I think we're a bit far away geographically, but I would do it. I would go. <laughs> yes, well, I, I know. I know what I, I have two boys, and they are now fifteen and thirteen. Um, so they wow. they don't require anything from me apart from money and lifts. Yes, um, uh, but uh, but I remember when it was all just all consuming, and it's all about them, and they need you for everything, and 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 yeah. they want you in their life as much as you know as much. I know, you know that's yeah. So my daughter's eight, so she's getting to that point where she wants me in her life a little bit less now because she's discovered um, slime and squishies on YouTube, <laughs> and she's getting into that, <laughs> which is the most uh, amazing thing. I have heard that. It is it. infuriating. Yeah, it's so it's, weird. Yeah, but, yeah, <laughs> but the little boy, he's three. Uh, his name is Maceo, and he's, um, mm. yeah, I, he's he, I'm, he's a fan of me at the moment, so I'm loving that. Yes, well, enjoy but, that while uh, it lasts. Yeah. And, and I know it's I will, exhausting, yeah. isn't it? Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's, well, what you have to do, of course, is put it in the diary a long time in advance, and and I know, yeah, sitters and all that. But what can you? Do you live far out of London? I'm in Orpington, Kent. In Kent, right? Yeah. So yeah, so it's a bit far out, but I'm desperately hoping to be there. But um, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna do my absolute best. Well, I understand it to, to make to it. put things in place. It's a decent excuse. <laughs> <laughs> thanks very much but at least i have this yeah. this treasured memory of of having this time with you which is very very cool well what you, so um, I, I just wanted to mention um we're doing another uk show a week later yes um which is in leeds at the venue called the wardrobe now you know 20th of september yeah. you noticed the um the 13th of of september album launch the 13th <gasps> studio album well oh my the, 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 the wardrobe are celebrating their 20th birthday and our 20th birthday on the 20th of september so it's um, oh my god double numeral numerological wonder and uh we that was that was one of the first venues we played in leeds once the town and country club closed down and um, we we're getting together with some of those DJs that I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, the guys whose club nights we played at, and they're all reuniting. They're some of them are in their sixties now, uh, but they were kind of our mentors. So we're having a lovely reunion for them, and then any of the people in Leeds who still remember who we are, um, uh, some tickets are still available. But you know, my my family hopefully will be there too, and. Um, Oh wow! Uh, that's got Lamar, and we're using uh, some members of the Haggis Horns, um, Jim and um, Jim Corrie and Malcolm Strachan are playing sax and trumpet with us. 
We've got Sam Bell coming on percussion and Lamar is flying over as well for the for both shows. So that's what I'm kind of gearing up for at the moment um, is those two UK gigs because the last time I saw the guys was in uh, in Spain. We, we played a festival in the beginning of August and we played from 3.30 a.m. till 6 a.m. Uh, and... And we and we knocked it out of the park. It was I, I don't know how we we had a nap, you know, and woke up at eleven or twelve p.m. and then kind of went there and hung around for a bit. But that was that was the last gig, beginning of August. So it's like six weeks really um, since we would have played together, and there'll be that general hunger to play and slight trepidation and mm. excitement, which will dissolve as soon as we play the first note. I think. Amazing. What dream gigs these sound like? My gosh, well, you must be over the moon about the Leeds. Yeah, gig. I'm excited about it, um, and I'm just trying to get the word out if I can uh, to as many people as possible because I hate it when I've done a really good gig that everyone who was there loved it and we loved it, and then two weeks later I'll bump into someone and I'll go, "Oh, what? I didn't know about that." And what? <laughs> really? Like what? And I kind of think, what else can I do? Like I. I <laughs> I, I probably should go do one of those, you know, round robin emails things that I hate receiving. Where, you, oh yes, you'll have to get on the Mailchimp yeah, gig. Got, yeah, I don't like that, but I need to do another one just, just so that there are fewer and fewer people who've got the excuse when they bump into me that oh, I would have come but I didn't know about it. That's the most annoying thing to hear. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, well they 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 sound amazing, and anyone that is going to be present is clearly just going to have the time of their lives. And I hope it means, I hope it's it's incredible for you as well. I really hope you guys are uh, you know uh, manage to celebrate these incredible milestones. So it's a real testament to to everything that you you've all achieved. And uh, everything that the name the new master sounds represents, it's uh, it's a staggering uh, and colossal name in, in contemporary uh, jazz, funk, and R and B as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, watch out, Beyonce, we're coming for you. Yes, absolutely. Uh, as as we we talked about before, uh, these these episodes end with a closing song chosen by our guest. In this in this case, it's the incredible Simon Allen. So, so may I ask what you have selected uh, as your closing? Yeah, well, I've chosen a track from the new album, rather narcissistically, um, and it, it's um, it's just one that we have only played live twice so far because it requires the horn section, and we don't always have them with us. Um, we do have horns in the two UK shows. So I'm excited to play this one. And it's called On The Up and then in brackets, SKA. And it's because it's a scar groove, but they're also my initials. So it really is. And that was Pete that decided he wanted to add scar at the end, not me, because that would have been a yeah. cool. Um, but it's it's a kind of Ernest Wrangling, Monty Alexander oh, type, um, type feel to it that um, I think you and your listeners will enjoy enormously. Mm-hmm. 